I invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. This morning we're continuing our very short series on who is Jesus. And John presents to us this uh, information about who Jesus is uh, in a way that's different from the other four Gospels. And we saw a little bit of that last week, uh, how he presents this information to us. We're taking a, a closer look at who is Jesus. Uh, and let me tell you right off the bat, I didn't mention this last week, but uh, I need to mention this. John, in his reporting of who Jesus Christ is, is not unbiased. Uh, whenever you flip on the news channel, you want an unbiased report uh, just giving you the facts, right? Well, the reality is that uh, being unbiased is not even possible, okay? Everyone is biased one way or the other. Uh, and John here is biased in his reporting of Jesus Christ. John actually has a purpose for us in his uh, giving us this information about Jesus is. Keep your finger there in John 1 and turn real quick to the very end of the gospel, uh, John chapter 20. Uh, this is what's great about John's gospel, uh, is he actually tells you the whole purpose and why he's written this. So John chapter 20, uh, starting at verse 30 and 31. This is the purpose. This is why John wrote his gospel and why he began the way that he did. This is what it says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, so why did John write this book? Why did he include the facts that he did? He did it so that we would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He writes to elicit a response from us. And so he wants us to see the truth of who Jesus is, and he gives us again uh, this information so that we will believe in Jesus and then have life in his name. And last week I said that the word life that John uh, prefers to use is not bios, it's not biology, where we get the word biology, but zoe. Uh, that we might have eternal life, life from only the Son who gives spiritual life to us. All right, And so he, we're to have uh, belief in Jesus so that we can have eternal life. That's why he wrote. Now last week we saw in verses 1 through 4 of John uh, chapter 1 uh, that Jesus is the preexistent word, that he is the almighty creator, and that he is the light and life of men. That's what we saw last week. So John begins before the beginning... Uh, before creation, that Jesus Christ is the eternal God. And he makes a wild claim about Jesus Christ, that he is God. And it's, uh, it's hard for us to believe, possibly. Uh, and the good news is that uh, starting today, we're going to see how we can believe and why we should believe uh, John's message. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read this. We're going to read uh, verses 6 through 13. And then we're going to ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. John chapter 1. Verses 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. Let's ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word. We thank you that by understanding and hearing and believing in your son, Jesus Christ, we can have life. I pray that you would help us as we unpack the the deep things that are contained in this word, that your son's glory would shine forth, and that we would not be distracted by anything else, but that we would see him, that you would encourage our hearts, uh, that our faith in Jesus would increase or maybe begin for the first time. And we pray this by your grace and mercy, through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, So uh, there's actually four points today. I've got four points, and we'll do these points very quickly. Uh, First of all, in this passage, we see the the words witness. Secondly, we see the words arrival. Thirdly, we see the words rejection. And then fourthly, the words mission. Uh, So we begin with the witness, uh, all right, the the witness. And really, this should be the witness to the word in verses 6 through 8. Uh, John has made sensational claims. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Okay? So he's made this claim that uh, the Word is preexistent before all time, and there's something preexistent with God. Greeks and Jews alike would believe that God was preexistent. Um, whatever the Greeks would believe that God w- was God, they believe that he absolutely was preexistent. But here he's created a distinction between the Word and between God. Okay, so the word was with God, and there's a distinction between God, and both of these things are preexistent uh, and, and co-equal together. Uh, and how do you bring, bring these things together? Well, he says, well, the word was with God, and the word was God. So he's made this outrageous claim. He's made a distinction even within the Godhead. Okay? So God doesn't merely exist as one, but he exists as multiple. So we know him as the three-in-one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, And here he's presenting a picture of the Trinity for us, that God the Father and God the Son, the Son exists as the Word, preexistent forever. Uh, So he's made this wild, wild claim. Uh, And anyone would uh, rightly hear this, especially if you were a Jewish person, you would reject it outright, because this goes against their belief in the monotheistic God. And then the Greeks as well would, would reject this, because they would say it fails their test of logic. And then what John, the author of this, does is he says, well, we can believe this because we, we actually have other witnesses to testify to the truthfulness of this claim. He, and, and, and all through the Gospel of John, we're not going to take the time to look at all of it, but we can know that we can believe this word because uh, there are actually seven different witnesses to the truthfulness of this claim. And through the Gospel of John, John gives us seven witnesses. In this day where John was writing in the first century uh, A.D., in order for uh, any kind of uh, word to stand up in a court of law, you had to have to have the testimony of two people. Uh, if you had more, you couldn't just have one person, but two people that would testify to the truthfulness of something. And so, over and over and over in the gospel accounts, we're called to believe the witnesses. Well, here John gives us not one, not two, but seven different witnesses to the truthfulness of this claim. And here is the first truth, or the first witness uh, to that, and that is in the person of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is different than the author, John the Apostle, who wrote this. Um, John apparently was a very common name in this day. Uh, so here's this other man, John the Baptist. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Notice what he came to do. Uh, he came to bear, came as a witness to bear witness. 
witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John, first of all, came from God. Uh, Why is that important? Well, it's important for us to know that John did not come of his own. He didn't come by himself. He didn't build his testimony upon his authority. But John the Baptist wants us to understand that, or John the, the Apostle wants us to understand that John the Baptist came because God sent him. That the message that he gave is from God. Now, what did he come to do? Well, he came to bear witness to the light, to talk about the light. Who is the light? The light is the preexistent word that we just read about in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John the Baptist came to talk about and to witness to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Now, why did he come to do that? The same purpose that John, the writer of this gospel, had. He did it so that all might believe through him. Who's the hymn? The hymn is Jesus Christ, that we might believe through Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. So John the Baptist came as a witness to Jesus. Uh, now, why is that important for us? Well, it's important because we don't have to take merely one man's word for this. Uh, again, as I said, to establish truthfulness, you have to have the testimony of different people. And here, John, at the very beginning of this gospel, is saying, Here is another witness, John the Baptist. What do we know about John the Baptist? Well, Jesus says that of all of the men born of women, John the Baptist is the best, that he's the greatest. Okay. So of all of the people that are humans, John the Baptist is the greatest man that was ever born. Um, Now, you have to take Jesus out of that equation because Jesus is not uh, naturally born the way that we are. Um, He's slightly different from us, namely that he's God. But the testimony of Jesus was that John the Baptist was the greatest one, and so that's his testimony. Can we trust John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus? Well, he was a great man, and he would not lie about that. And John wants us to establish and understand that we can believe it because another man came and gave that testimony. And not only that, but his testimony is true because it's consistent with other testimonies. Remember I said that there are seven different testimonies or witnesses to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ here in John's gospel account. And all of them are consistent. At no point do you get any variety in what is being said. We're told that from the beginning that Jesus is the word of God, that he is God himself in the flesh. And John the Baptist bore witness to that. This is important for us because we are not called to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ by blind faith. There are many people out there that say that you need to accept the testimony of the scriptures because you just have to believe it's true. And then once you believe it's true, then you'll find out it's true. Well, that's not what John tells us here. John says, no, you can believe it because it is the truth and it's verified by other witnesses to the truth. Okay? It's not a mere leap of faith that you're taking. Check out and see what they have said. What did John the Baptist say? He said that Jesus was God. And then, furthermore, all of the disciples said that Jesus was God. And over and over and over, the consistent testimony is that we can believe it because all of these witnesses point to the truth. It's built upon a credible testimony and truthfulness. We just got out of a Sunday school class where we talked about Islam. And Islam was founded by Muhammad, who went up into a cave by himself and received the word of God by himself and said that he got it from nowhere else but God and no one was around to test the veracity of his truth claims. 
And people just had to accept it because he was there by himself. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. And every cult starts that way. They say, you can believe me because God gave me this word. And then when you ask for proof of that, they say, well, you just have to believe. The good news for us is that we're not called to believe in that way because we have the truth given to us by witnesses. And it's been tested over and over and over Uh, Last week I mentioned this, that there used to be people who would deny the fact that Jesus Christ actually was born and actually died and was crucified. There are people who used to look at history and say we can't prove whether or not Jesus Christ lived and died. Well, the consistent testimony that's out now that even secular historians uh, have to admit is that Jesus Christ did actually Uh, was actually born, that he was a real historical figure, and that he actually did die on a cross. So history may deny it. People may say, no, these things aren't true. But over and over and over, we have the confirming witness that these things are the truth. And here's the first one. John the Baptist gave witness to that. The first thing we see again is the words witness, that is John the Baptist. Secondly, we see the words arrival into the world. Uh, In verses 9 and 10, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So John announces the light's coming into the world. Uh, This is where Christianity oftentimes uh, is so completely different than every other religion. Uh, And the good news for us is that God did not merely create the world and then step back from it, but we're told that God enters into the world that he created Uh, Notice that little word there, uh, the true light, okay? I think that's interesting that John, the writer here, gives us and tells us the true light as opposed to the false light, right? Uh, There are false lights in the world. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 14, uh, in that uh, epistle, Paul tells us that Satan comes disguised as an angel of light, So we need to be told here that Jesus Christ is the light, not just that he is the light, but he is the true light, not the false light. And this is a little bit sad for us because we will easily and quickly be led astray by the false lights of the world. Anything that is false and contrary to the scriptures will not stand up to the consistent testimony that Jesus Christ is God, that he came into the world, and that he lived among us, that he uh, lived perfectly, righteously, and died on the cross, and was resurrected on the third day. Uh, That is the consistent testimony of the scriptures. And throughout history, people have been led astray because they believe the false light. Uh, What is any false light? What is the false light as opposed to the true light? The false light is any light that distracts from the work and the person of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, The truth is that it's all about him and not about us. And yet we need to be reminded that Jesus Christ is the true light, that our faith and our hope needs to be in him. The false light looks like this. It looks like you saying, well, Jesus and all that he did was fine, but I need to do a little bit extra to make God like me. That Jesus and his work isn't enough. It's Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus my work. That is the false light. And anyone that preaches that gospel is not preaching the true light of Jesus Christ. What are we told? That the true light enlightens everyone or enlightens all people because he's coming into the world. That that is what the light does. John sets up for us the eternal and cosmic struggle between light and darkness. The light enters into the world of darkness. Get this, the creator enters into his creation 
And this is the great arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what should we expect to happen when the Lord, the light, comes into the world? Well, we should expect that the darkness would be overwhelmed and overcome by the light, which it is, but that the darkness would accept the coming of the light. But what happens? When the light comes into the world, this is what happens. Um, Yet the world did not know him, right? I'm told at the very end of verse 10 that the light comes into the world, and yet the world does not know the light. Uh, That word know is a word, again, for intimacy. We saw a kind of intimacy between the the preexistent word and God last week where the word was with God. And here, this word is given, but the world did not know him. They did not know its creator. The world does not know the light. And so there is no intimacy between the creator and his creation. We should expect that the creation would be overjoyed with the creator coming into the world, but the world does not know him. And that leads us to the third point, the, world, the word's rejection, or the rejection of the word in verse 11. Some of the saddest words in all the scriptures. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. We see the rejection of the word. Uh, so he came to his own, first of all. He came to his own. Uh, what's that little word, own, mean? Uh, essentially, uh, and in the Greek, it kind of says he came to his own things. All right. uh, so first of all, Jesus came to his own things. W- what does that mean? It means that Jesus came into the world. He came into the world that he created, the things that he owned, his own. He was the owner of the world. So he made us. He made the world. He came to us. And what happened? Well, we did not know him. All right? He came to his own, his own people, and we did not know him. It reminds me of uh, a little bit of Pinocchio and Geppetto. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories. I, I only really know the Disney version of it. I, I think the non-Disney version is much, uh, is much more um, grown up in some ways uh, and dark than the Disney version. But I think about Pinocchio. Uh, Geppetto made Pinocchio for himself. Uh, Geppetto made Pinocchio. uh, And Pinocchio, at one point in the story, rejects Geppetto as his father. and says, I don't want you to be my father anymore. And very similarly, we see a picture of that, where we were made by Jesus, and yet we reject him. The word comes to his own things. He owns us, and his creation rejects him. So you see this, the sustainer is rejected by the sustained And we see that he came to his own people. This is a reminder to us in John, what he's doing here as he says he came to his own people. He's pointing us back to the Old Testament and everything that God did for his people in the Old Testament. Uh, God did not leave a people uh, alone by themselves. He actually came to the people of the Old Testament. The, The testimony of Scripture is that God wed himself as a husband, marries a bride, and he loved her. Uh, The God of the universe married a people for himself, the Israelites. And what did the bride do? Uh, The the brutal and very vivid picture of that uh, comes from the prophets about what the bride did. In Hosea, what happened? The bride rejected God or rejected her husband and ran after other men as a prostitute, runs after other men. That's the testimony of the scriptures. And here we see that Jesus came to his own people and his own people have rejected God. 
They did not know him. Go back and read Ezekiel chapter 16 and the story of God's love for a people. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful and beautiful story uh, uh, and an illustration for us of the way that God has loved us. Uh, that we're, we're, we're like children exposed and left outside. We're, we're like children who, who were left and going to be aborted. And God came in and saved the unlovable and the unwanted. And he raised us. And he loves us. And what do we do? We reject We reject him. Some of you know that kind of heartbreak. Um, some of you know what it's like to be absolutely and totally rejected uh, by a loved one. You can go to Silliman uh, and every day at lunch, you can sit in the lunchroom and you can see people who are with their own and yet they're rejected by them for, for a variety of, uh, of reasons. Some of you know what it's like to be rejected by the love of your life. Some of you know what it's like to be absolutely put off by your family, by your friends, and be rejected. Well, the story of Scripture is that that's what we have done to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have rejected Him, that we did not want anything to do with Him. And that's actually the story of Easter, that the Lord Jesus Christ was rejected. But it wasn't just that He was rejected by us. The story of Easter is that He was rejected by the Father. Why? He was rejected by the Father so that we could be accepted by the Father. We'll get more on that in a few weeks. But here's the story of Jesus Christ, that he was rejected by men. One other story about rejection. Uh, Eric Green, who's the pastor at Thompson Memorial, he's been here a few times. Good friend of mine, I lived with him uh, while he was having his first pastorate uh, at Westminster. Um, And uh, he was a single guy, and he he wanted to get married, all right? Uh, He wanted to be married more than uh, anybody that had ever met in my life. Eric is a godly man. Uh, and and uh, and that was his desire to be married. Uh, he asked he would well he asked lots of girls out. He would go on dates with them, uh, and it seemed like every week, every Friday, he would go on a date. He would come home like Eric, how was it? And he was like, oh, it was miserable. Why did did you not like her? He said, no, I thought she was great. She didn't like me. Right? So it was in one of these uh, nights where actually uh, there was a few weeks span where he dated this girl and, and uh, things were progressing and, and he was like, he would come home, she's the one, she's the one. After a few weeks, uh, she came home, uh, or he came home, and, uh, and you could just tell, all right, it didn't go well, all right. He had been absolutely rejected and she just said, she basically said, you're a weird guy and I don't want anything to do with you, all right. So after a few weeks, uh, that's what she said. And I remember sitting there with Eric and him pouring out his heart and talking about what it meant to be rejected over and over and over. And he, is, he was rejected more than any guy that I've ever met. Uh, and so, um, and I was like, all right, um, he's happily married now. He has like five kids and all that. He's doing great. But um, it's like, Eric, how can you stand this rejection? And he said, all right, the manliest man that was ever born, Jesus Christ, was rejected over and over and over by everyone that loved him. Part of being a man is being rejected. And he said, and this was incredible perspective from a guy that wasn't married. He said, you're going to be rejected for the rest of your life. You might as well get used to it, okay? But his, uh, the foundation of that, the foundation of his belief there was because the Lord Jesus Christ was rejected. Then we can handle rejection as well. And that's the picture that I want you to see here. John, at the very beginning of the gospel, shows us that the word was rejected by his own people. And that's actually the foundation of the gospel. Lastly, I want you to see the words mission. Verses 12 and 13. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right. We start off this, uh, this point with a very small word. I pointed out some very small words to you last week. The small words of the Bible matter. How does, how does John begin verse 12? He says, but... Uh, if you can believe this, in the Greek, it's actually a smaller word. Right? It's just de, de. All right, it's a smaller word, but, and this word but is very important for us because in this little word we see the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, okay, get this: the rejection that the world rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. The last word for God's people is not rejection, but this little word, but. God's grace and his mission is not thwarted by our rejection of him. And that is good news because we are a people who, even though we might believe in Jesus by our sin and by the way we live, we reject him. And the good news is that our rejection of God does not stop his mission. And what's the promise that we're told here? Uh, John gives us a promise. He says, But all who did receive them, who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All right, if you have a child, and some of you have children, what is it going to take to invalidate that relationship? Can you simply look at your child and say, I do not want you to be my child anymore? No, you can't do that. How do you have a child and then reject that child? How is it that you can absolutely be done away with that child? Well, the reality is that you can have a child, and even though you may not want them to be your child, there's nothing you can do about it, right? They are yours because they have the DNA that says they are your child. And here we have a picture of God's grace to us. Uh, Some of you parents know this experience, and you have this experience, where your child looks at you and says terrible things and say, I don't want you to be... My parents, some of you have been through that. Um, unfortunately, I said that to my mom once. I, I'm ashamed that I said that. I don't want you to be my mom. And she looked at me and said, it doesn't matter. I'm your mom anyway, all right? I can't do anything about that relationship. I have her DNA inside of me. And even if I don't want anything to do with her, her love for me pursues me even up to the point where she came in yesterday when I was exhausted to help take care of the kid, right? Uh, That's the kind of relationship that we're told here. It's not merely that God puts up with us. It's not merely that his love pursues us, but that he comes to us and he actually makes us his children. Our rejection of God doesn't stop or thwart his mission. All right. The word that's used here, um, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that's the little word, It's I mean, believed, it's the word that's used over and over, uh, for faith, all who have faith in Jesus Uh, What is that word receive? The word receive is all who take hold of Jesus Christ, all who lean on Jesus Christ and who take him by faith. How do we grab hold of God? How do we grab hold of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we have him? Well, you can't just go up and grab him right now with with your arms and hold on to him. But we're called here to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to put our hope and our trust in him. And then, uh, all right, he doesn't stop there, who were born not of the blood, nor the will, nor the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And John tells us how do we put our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ? We do it by, the, by being reborn. John three sixteen, right? The reminder to us that 
All those who are reborn have the right to be called children of God, and that is how we believe by being reborn. Um, it's a work of God where he makes us his children by the birth that only he can give. But the reality is that this is a call for us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is that in order for us to, be, to have eternal life, it's a call to leave everything and to cling to him. So the question for us this morning is, where is your trust? And what do you trust? I say this almost every single week. Um, there are some of you who have your trust in your health. Right? Your trust is in your health. You're strong, you're able-bodied, and you can do things on your own, and you put your trust in that. Let me just remind you very quickly about an accident that can happen and can take away your ability. Joe Wills is a good example of that. Where is your trust? If it's in your ability, that can be taken away from you. All right. What about your money? <laughs> what about your wealth? Is your trust in your wealth? And what you have in your bank account. If that's the case, how long does it take for you to be separated from your wealth? Well, you can do something silly and, you know, just make a a bad investment and that sort of thing. And you can be separated by it. But guess what? All of you are going to be separated by it one way or the other. Because you're all going to die one day. I don't just mean you. I mean me too, okay? (laughs) We're all going to die one day. And we're going to be separated by our wealth. And it will not sustain us. And what about your family? Some of us put our hope and our faith and our trust in our families. Well, you know, your family won't always be there. They're going to let you down. We're called here to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to put our trust in him. And when you have your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal life forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word. I pray that you would help us to hear it. And believe it. I pray that our faith and our hope would be in Jesus, that we would take hold of him because he has taken hold of us. And I pray that by faith that would be true. In Christ's name, amen.